Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Jeff, when did you first know you were a vegetarian? About two years ago. Do your parents know, Jeffrey? Yeah. Because I was going to say, if they didn't, you know, this programme goes out in several countries, you know. <laughs> Was it ca- counties? Counties. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. Sit down. So do you want to explain what that was? Yes, that was that was me, aged 19, pretending... You look to... so cute on the video. <laughs> you look cute now. Actually. I look so nervous. It's me, aged 19, on the pilot of the Mrs. Merton show. Amazing. Pretending to be a vegetarian. Amazing. So I worked on local radio with Carolina Hearn and, and Craig Cash, and they were doing the pilot for that show, and they wanted to do the whole let's have a heated debate bit, and they thought I looked like a vegetarian because I had red hair and little round glasses, so they asked me to go on and pretend to be one, and I was so nervous. And then not long after that, that show got made and, of course, went on to be this huge thing, and I got fired off local radio, and they made a job up for me. So I had a job on the Mrs. Merton show, which was a completely made-up job, and it was basically running across to the branch of the spa uh, across from the BBC studios in Manchester on Oxford Road and getting Asti Spumanti sparkling white wine and Benson and Hedges for Caroline whenever she needed it. And oddly enough, it you said then you were a vegetarian, which you weren't, and then you became one. I know. I know. It's life imitating art. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about on the show, which I, th- I know you've been keen to talk about it and you've been right to do so, which is we're talking about the issue of food, uh, what we eat, what it does to the planet, issues of animal cruelty as well, and you know what should we be doing about it? And it's not just people potentially going vegetarian, but it's also what are the alternatives to meat that are that are sort of being thought about? Because you know there are alternatives which emulate a lot of the qualities that some people like in meat through vegetarian products and then you know there's an amazing set of advances happening on that and it can be a difficult topic to talk about without people feeling like they're being buttonholed moral superiority yeah yeah. yeah. so you know hopefully there'll be none of that i try and internalize my moral superiority and sit in silent judgment you are you 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 generally quite practiced at the silent judgment actually i think oh very very much yeah. so yeah i'm constantly judging but yeah you know, but silently silent. yeah. yeah but it's yeah. Impre- but it's impressive and i'm really looking forward to our discussion speaking of the moral high ground who went viral this week then I you've become a meme well, i saw a gif uh if do you see somebody told me it's pronounced jif rather than gif no i think gif's a sort of squeezy product right <laughs> I, I, I saw a gif of uh ed in the house of commons making an impassioned speech this week you've 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 gone viral i've never seen that side of you well apart from with the bacon sandwich uh the um well it was about leveson 2 you know which was the inquiry that had been promised uh, the second part of the inquiry that had been promised into um, abuse that had taken place of, of innocent people by by a minority of the 
press. And I thought it was really important that we kept that promise to the victims, you know, the McCanns, the Dowlers, uh, all of that. Unfortunately, we lost the vote in the House of uh, Commons, but I was doing my best to persuade people. I was a bit ranty pants. It was very impressive to watch. No, but it, but I, I care. I care about it. And, uh, and you know, it's important to say that it, this, you know, I think there's fantastic investigative journalism in this country. Um, but I think that the minority of the press that barge into the lives of innocent people and 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 do wrong to people i think bring down the whole reputation of the rest and actually we unfortunately we have the least trusted written press in the whole of europe according to the most recent survey that was done so i actually think and the national union of journalists say that it will be in the interests of the press for this to go ahead they want it to go ahead well i'm i'm sorry that you lost the vote and i hope that becoming a gif is One of those some things. consolation well yeah there we go yeah. speaking of votes though there is still one very important vote that that you and i could still win definitely the british podcast awards listeners choice vote um so I, I mentioned, I did. you asked me to do a little intro to last week's podcast, that they had put out their top 20 in no particular order. And we were in there. But, I mean, we're, we're up against some heavy hitters, Ed. We are George Ezra. My dad wrote a porno. All I said to people is, remember the US presidential election of 2000, Bush versus Gore, came down to those few hundred votes in Florida. We do not want hanging chads when it comes to... <laughs> When it comes to this vote, you know, we want we want we want clarity, you know, so we need it could come down to every vote. A hanging chad's a medical condition. No. Okay. It's just you I know you're a hypochondriac, but you, you don't have hanging chads. Okay. Well, I hope not anyway. So we need you to go online to Britishpodcastawards.com stroke vote. The closing date is Thursday the seventeenth of May. So get out there, vote early, vote often. And if you take a screenshot of your vote once you've submitted it and send it to us, we're going to be drawing somebody out of the hat to come and um, hang around with us while we record an episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. Definitely. Also this week, as well as talking about veganism and vegetarianism and the uh, environmental impact of all that, uh, we have a very funny comedian coming in to pitch ideas, which could be Reasons to be Cheerful. We're joined by Steve Bujaya. What is your reason to be cheerful this week, Ed? It is baseball related because for the first time the major league baseball teams are coming to london to play in london they've had the national football league in london but next june my team the red sox and the new york yankees will be facing off at the olympic stadium so i'm going to be definitely going wow if we could arrange for you to be with the cheerleaders do they have cheerleaders they don't have cheerleaders in baseball actually they have people singing the national anthem i don't know whether they'll be singing the american national anthem in britain i could sing the american national anthem after your success maybe maybe you should sing the uh star spangled banner i would duet with you on that or or sarah i I would i would duet with you if if you know (laughs) i think it'd be a high pressure moment Do they do god bless america in the seventh inning i wonder if they'll do god bless america i don't know or god save the queen i mean it's quite interesting question mm. do you get very passionate like we saw you on the in the house of Commons? Very, yeah you're doing the same thing the yeah definitely do you paint your face no uh <laughs> but i wear a baseball cap in the style <laughs> of william hague uh, um no. so you'll be taking your boys then hopefully definitely yeah oh, really a, excited that is exciting really excited i know how much our how big a deal yeah, that is it's a big deal to you. yeah what's your reason to be cheerful well at first, it was a reason to be miserable, and I'm trying to be optimistic about it. I'm trying to embrace it. I went to the opticians at the weekend because my glasses are a bit scratched. Right. And they said, oh, you better have an eye test while you're here. And I found out that I need very focals. Yeah. So I think I have to now admit that I, I'm definitely not a borderline millennial. No, I'm afraid you're not. I think there are very few borderline millennials. Unless you've got very early onset very focalism. <laughs> uh, it's possible, maybe. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So we're joined now by Claire Oxborough, who is food policy specialist at Friends of the Earth and chair of the Eating Better Alliance, and Samantha Calvert, who's head of communications at the Vegan Society. Thanks so much for joining us, both of you. Hi. So you're going to take us through this issue, and I'm really excited about the discussion. Claire, maybe you could just start by answering a, a basic question, which is why should we be worried about meat and dairy production? 
Well, livestock production has an absolutely massive environmental impact. Um, so whether that's climate change, uh, gases that are being produced from their production, 14.5% globally, around 10% of e uh, UK and EU emissions just from meat and dairy. That's about the same as transport emissions globally. Um, there's huge impacts on land use. So we all think about cows grazing, but fewer people think about the actual feed that's grown to produce, um, to, to feed the animals in industrial systems, in particular pigs and poultry, massive hectares of um, soy grown in Argentina and Brazil, devastating rainforests and uh, Cerrado and other precious habitats around the world. Um, and then you've got massive amount of water use as well um, and other resources. Um Huge impacts also on our health. So globally, we're eating too much meat, um, in, particularly in, in countries like the UK, certainly in countries like the US. Um, we're eating about twice as much as we should be, and that's good for our health. Um, and we're, we're also, there are issues with animal welfare. So particularly, Friends of the Earth is concerned with livestock production in intensive systems. Um, that really has fueled the production of cheap meat, meaning people are eating too much that's bad for us and bad for the planet and bad for animal welfare. And can you tell us about how that's changed? Because that wouldn't have been true of our grandparents' generation. Absolutely. So, you know, 50, 60 years ago, meat was a treat. Meat was valued. It was quite expensive. Um, we would have had a Sunday roast. Um, the leftovers would have lasted for the rest of the week. Um, and people were quite inventive about, you know, eating the whole animal as well and, and using everything, um, everything there. Um, and since the advent of real industrial production of you know factory farming essentially cramming thousands of animals in tiny spaces um taking them off the land putting them in sheds so we don't see them as as the public we don't know what's what's kind of going on there um and and that kind of mass production using vast amounts of imported animal feed from south america has has kind of meant lots and lots of cheap meat on the market and it's mainly yeah chicken and poultry chicken and pigs and you know, we think about when we're talking about environmental impact it's often the ruminants that get most of the blame, the cattle and the sheep, because they do produce most of the um, direct methane and, and other greenhouse gas emissions. But the hidden um, impacts are really there in terms of the intensive industrial pig and poultry production systems, which really are hideous on every level. It's interesting you picked up on the soy there and the fact that uh, part, partly um, a lot of land is being cleared to produce soy. But of course, um, and people often you know, um, level that one at vegetarians and vegans saying, well, you're part of the problem, you're eating all this soy. But in actual fact, the vast majority of, of soy is being produced as cattle food. So it, it is actually being fed to animals. So one of the things that vegetarians and vegans do by not eating animals is this food for animals also doesn't have to be produced because as humans what we're doing really is cycling our food through animals so we're growing soya to feed to um, cattle and then the conversion rate really is for every 100 calories that we feed to cattle we get um, 12 calories back as animal food um, either in meat or, or milk um, so it's really really valuable I think to realise that that it's not just the, the animals, it's not just the methane, but it's also the fact that we're clearing huge tracts of land to grow food for animals. And we don't need Which to. results in deforestation, which means that less carbon dioxide is absorbed and so on. And we could eat the food direct. We could eat plant protein. For, forgive me for asking this, but is there a, and if this is simplistic, is there a sort of relative um, sort of cost to the environment of, you know, a vegetarian meal versus a meat-based meal? Well, we know it's, it is hugely less on, on average, um, but we, you do have to be careful because it's not just a simple, you know, you, you give up meat and dairy and automatically your diet is perfectly healthy. Obviously, if you're eating loads of, you know, imported tropical exotic, uh, you know, veg and fruit, then that's not going to be very sustainable. Um, so it is about... Because also of the travel. Because the, of the, yeah, yeah, the air miles, the, yeah, and, and the conditions that those foods might have been produced in in those countries. Um, so it's, it's really about looking at the food system as a package and trying to you know there's lots of different things you need to look at I think that's that's quite difficult though for people to make those judgments so people will again come to vegans and say well what about if you eat quinoa and avocados every day then you'll be you know yeah. your, your contribution isn't that much you know better than the mine eating meat the reality is that that doesn't make up a typical um, plant-based sure. diet and um, you know on the whole it's difficult for people to decide what sort of diet would be would be perfect taking all these things into account and I think it is widely sort of accepted that the best off-the-shelf diet you could have in terms of environmental impact would be to follow a vegan diet and people like Al Gore and George Monbiot have come to that conclusion themselves so if you're kind of trying to find the, the probably the best solution it, 
that you can just follow a, a simple diet, then veganism would do that. And it would, um, you know, it does halve the, the emissions um, f- from, your, from your diet. And it's, that's you know, the it's best one calculation. Of the, yeah, it? and right. it's one of the key things, I think, that we can do as individuals. Um, people are often troubling themselves about, you know, recycling carrier bags or whether they should take a flight or whether they should have an electric car. One of the simplest things you can do is to eat lower down the food chain. Well, you've anticipated my next question, which is w- what should we be doing as individuals, from the point of view of the vegan society, we should be going vegan. And we do say that most people having tried it would actually say that they wish they'd done it sooner and they really enjoy it. Um, it's much easier than people think. For people who perhaps do eat meat or fish heavy diets, it f- can feel like a big leap for them. But you're, you're asking them to try it for seven days. Yeah. And, and we, we have sort of calculations of how you can swap out, for example, your typical maybe shepherd's pie for a vegan version using pulses and how much CO2 that will save. And we calculate over that week for them how much CO2 is saved and all the people who take part in that campaign, um, you know, how, how, how many times, you know, how much CO2 we've saved and what that's the equivalent that's of. That's on the Vegan Society website. Yeah, you can go it? and see how you can, how we've, you know, travelled to um, distant planets and back in terms of the CO2 that we've, we've saved just by people doing it for a week. And what about fish and Um, and the environmental impact? We have a problem with overfishing. um, And I think that's, you know, that's a key area. Um, There are some issues around, um, you know, toxicity in fish as well. Um, I mean, fish aren't um, as factory farmed in the same way. Obviously, they're not with some exceptions. Um, they're not uh, going to be producing methane in the way that cattle would or anything like that. But, um, I, you know, we do have we do have an issue with fish, I think, in terms of um, overfishing and, and the fact that we need to be cutting back on that. Claire? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, obviously a vegan diet is, is, you know, a good choice um, environmentally. But for a lot of people that, like you said, it is quite a big leap from where they might be at. Um, and so Friends of the Earth and also Eating Better has really um, come to the conclusion that a less and better meat approach is one that Just is... Just say what Eating Better yeah, is. Yeah, so though. Eating Better is a coalition of um, UK-based organisations um, that's come together around this issue of, of meat and the impacts it's having you know, on vi- environment, animal health, um, welfare and our health. Um, and we all agree that we need to move to a future where we're eating less meat and the meat that we are eating is better. Obviously, better is packed with, you know, what does that mean? We've tried to unpack that. We've just released a new report that goes through um, through the detail of what that actually looks like. But we're talking about things like high welfare meat, things like organic RSPCA assured. Um, we're talking about um, meat that might have been produced on purely pasture um, in the UK, 100% pasture. So you're cutting out all the imported animal feed from rainforests and, and other parts of South America um, and focusing purely on that pasture-based system. Um, but however you look at it, you know, we can't just swap in better meat at the current levels we're eating that meat. We just don't have the land for that. So less meat, so not no the meat. The less is, is your critical. View. Less and better less meat. Less and better together. And that's, you know, that's something that really we've got 50 organisations and part of Eating Better now. And those range from the animal welfare groups, environment groups, health groups, farming groups as well are supportive. Um, And it's a message that people really do seem to be coming together around. What about the argument that fairness that it's going to be more expensive for people yeah. to eat organically this this always comes up and obviously it you know food poverty poverty is a is a massive issue we've got food bank use at record levels which is a disgusting state of affairs um in the uk in this in this country really we, we shouldn't be here um but it, it is an issue of poverty and actually we need to tackle poverty and the affordability of food for people so just saying well you know if we produce it better that means it's it's not affordable for people isn't isn't really good enough in the in the sense of meat um we can because we're eating generally too much instead of buying you know three one pound 99 chickens a week we could be buying just you know a smaller amount of better quality yes and more expensive but again that less and better and trading up in terms of quality but potentially still spending the same amount of money in the supermarket i mean i have another question which is that just on this issue of fairness, I mean, mm. it's right also to think, isn't it, about what about the farmers? What about the people who work in meat production? Because I think part of the environmental challenge, which we've discussed before on the podcast, is yes, we've got to get the environment right, but we've also got to get the sort of just transition right. What what, what do we say to those people? 
I mean, we, we have um, at the Vegan Society, we have um, we've done some work with the New Economics Foundation, who produced a report for us last year, um, which actually looked at what the alternatives might be, and particularly with a sort of post Brexit landscape, which was um, looming at the time. Um, and one of the things we, we're recommending a, a number of um, solutions, including um, direct payments for. Um, uh, direct payments to growers, um, access to training and startup costs, um, research and development into protein crops. So allowing farmers to diversify, in other yeah, words. Absolutely. Um, and, and particularly, um, you know, plant proteins, um, we're quite keen that pulses could be grown in the UK. And in fact, there are there are companies which, um, you know, have, have made a real um, headway in that area. Um, and um, I think, you know, that's that's certainly a potential. But they will need, you know, it will need education. It will need um, help for people to move into those areas. It will need in some cases that we, we will have to pay farmers to take their land out of, of production, I think, particularly if we're talking about, um, you know, hilly areas where we can only graze um, cattle, where, which nothing else that would be commercially viable for food could be grown. Um, but I think if we're if we're committed to meeting our, our targets, environmental targets, then ultimately I don't think there's going to be another solution. We, we have to find different forms of agricultural solutions. Can you talk to us about the the um, developments in the food industry where they where they're trying to make cruelty free meat? Where are they up to with that stuff? Is that also stuff that has uh, less of an impact on the environment? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that we've had plant um, protein type um, foods around for a long time. So you can go into a supermarket and buy plant products that try and replicate the look and taste of meat. But there are now sort of um, cultured meats or um, in vitro meats, so laboratory grown meat. Um, these are very much in the developmental stage. Um, but there, there are great hopes held for them in terms of the comp- impact they could have environmentally um, on animal welfare, um, animal slaughter. Um, from a vegan perspective, they would never be vegan because at the moment, they both at the um, initial stage um, and also the growth medium um, requires um, the blood from, from um, calf fe- calf's, calf's fetus. So um, they would always be, um, as it stands at the moment, they wouldn't be suitable for vegans. But if we could use um, humans in that process... Um, Hang on, Ed's, Ed's got his, what, you suggested cannibalism? Is that what you... Use well, your human. face. Well, they, they, use a, <laughs> they use a starter cell. So um, if, if um, the starter cell was taken from a human oh. and if the growth medium was vegan... Would you not are, give up a starter cell <laughs> to save all those there is, there is actually research into this happening at right. the moment. Um, so it's not, it's not, not uh, Frankenstein canna- thing. not cannibalism. No, I mean it, that there is. I mean, very you know. technically. But, <laughs> sorry, it's technically, oh, but um, but you know, from a from a vegan perspective, uh, the concern is about the impact that humans have on animals, and obviously, a, a human could give consent, and the issue is that animals can't. So we wouldn't be using animals in that scenario. So you could spare one cell, and what does happen to the? They're, they're, what, they're what? anesthetized in, in, in the same way. You know, animals are anesthetized to, to to obtain these cells. Is the the idea behind the lab meat, and the same thing, I guess, would apply to humans. We could have a new do- um, a donor register, but but what happens to your and what happens cells. to your cell afterwards? I'm, I'm not quite I mean, sure. The cell is grow. The cell is it, it, it's cultured in a laboratory. The, yes, yeah. So I suppose if you think of perhaps yogurt having a starter culture. I mean, I'm not sure I want to eat a Jeff burger. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 I mean, no, no offense. It wouldn't grow into a whole Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really interesting is that these high-tech companies have moved in very quickly on this agenda. You know, they've spotted this business opportunity. And it's interesting that it isn't the farming industry that's moved in. It's the high-tech software Silicon Valley type people that have spotted this. And, you know, you're getting huge amounts of money um, pouring into research, into lab meat, um, because they, they see that as the kind of, you know, the innovation of the future. So they're doing projections on how yeah. much food will be available and what consumption looks like. And they're seeing this big gap in the market. They're seeing the saying. gap and they're seeing the opportunity to make money, whereas actually all we need to do is eat less meat. That doesn't actually have to mean, you know, billions of pounds and dollars invested in meat alternatives or meat substitutes or actually, yeah, lab-grown meat, which have a massive amount of ethical and, and social be, kind of questions around Just to around be clear them. about this, and we are going to be talking to a farmer who's, who's doing some of this in a minute, that, that there is a sort of plant-based alternatives, mm. um, which are, you know, there's a company, I think, called Impossible Burger in the US that's doing yeah. that, and then there's more 
sort of cultured meat yes, alternatives. Exactly. So so at the moment we've got we've already got plant-based meat substitutes. So, so these soy would be better versions of that. Yeah, they're trying to move as close as they can to replicating the taste and the texture of meat. So, you know, that and that you, you can't do that quite just using soy protein at the moment. So what they they're doing um, the impossible burger is on sale in the US. Um, and they use a GM yeast to create this 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 um, this uh, substance that, that then turns into plant heme, which tastes and feels like meat. There's loads of questions about safety still around that. So it's, even though it's on sale in the US now, um, it hasn't been proven to be safe. And the Food and Drug Administration has actually said it doesn't have enough information. There's lots of proteins produced in the process that could be allergens. So, you know, they haven't given that a clean bill of health, even though it's on, on the market there now. But then the lab meat takes it one stage further. So you're talking about in in a laboratory system creating essentially meat flesh in a in a lab in a test tube you know petri dish type scenario but you you still need you know massive amounts of energy in that processing it's not even vaguely commercial commercially viable at the moment and there are those ethical issues you still need the fetal calf serum to you know kickstart the the cell culture um, regeneration process so so oh, what loads of questions. Oh, Jeff, yeah. <laughs> oh, you. Of course, yeah. I don't know what I'd rather have. Jeff, this is the day the Jeff Burger was born. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, do you want to come back in? I mean, I think it's. I think you know you've you've covered really the, the differences very well. I think the key thing is that we we have a choice and and we already have options. We already have plant based options. Yes, they won't replicate the taste and texture and maybe the the blood or whatever in in food in the way that um, the companies are, are trying are exploring at the moment. But actually, you can eat a very healthy, a very nutritious, a very filling diet that's entirely vegan. It's readily available. Some of the cheapest foods you can eat in terms of food poverty, which we we're talking about earlier, some of the cheapest choices you could make would be would be um you know vegan foods and i think you know things uh, pulses for example um have all the protein none of the fats of of meat um and you know really valuable contribution and i think that's probably the way forward really at the moment can i ask about the international dimension of this because we've talked a lot about this country i mean if you think about developing countries how because if we're going to tackle the climate change and indeed the animal cruelty part of this we've got to think globally how how much harder is it going to be in, for developing countries to go down this route that you've both been talking about? Well, it's, it's interesting because the, the, there is an issue with as countries develop, they do tend to adopt the kind of Western meat-heavy diet. So countries where they traditionally would have eaten very low meat diets like India and China you know, their meat consumption is increasing. Although now in China, actually, they are starting to recognise the problems and they are starting to, the government has started to to take action and put in place some targets for meat reduction, actually. And they've also started to look at, you know, some of these, you know, investments in, into lab meat. So, you know, I think there is a recognition that this is, that this is a problem globally. Um, I think what's interesting is, yeah, that just the difference in the debate now you know from where we were five and ten years ago where you couldn't even talk about eating less meat ten years ago without you know Boris Johnson getting yeah. in, a, in a real tizzy about telling him to not eat his bacon sandwich or whatever it was um, I don't think it was him and the bacon sandwich <laughs> <laughs> it was a barbecue sausage yeah. just think if you'd been vegetarian you'd have been prime minister by now Absolutely. thanks very much <laughs> but now you know now I think there is a general acceptance that we need to eat less and then now we're thinking about was how do we do that how do we actually encourage people to do that and I think too often a lot of the pressure is put on us as individuals as individual consumers to make those choices and make the right choices and and of course there's loads we can do in our diets but I think what something we haven't mentioned yet is the role of government and the role of food businesses to drive that in the right direction actually support those choices much better than they're currently doing. Um, food businesses are definitely seeing the opportunities. So forget the lab meat. So looking at now at just the, 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 the kind of the growth in the kind of plant-based ranges that some of the big supermarkets are bringing out, Tesco's and um, Sainsbury's waitress, they've all got their, you know, flexitarian range. Tesco's just introduced a vegan ready meals range. 
you know that they, they, they are seeing that the, the, the trend you can also buy for from other supermarkets. Uh, of course um, you can also, the, there's a tr- this trend for flexitarianism which is basically reducing the amount of meat in your diet um, it has has really taken hold of the food industry but government is way behind way behind doing absolutely nothing on this what else could the government be doing so what government could be doing obviously post brexit big opportunity we could be supporting the right kinds of farming for a start we could be making sure that the industrial factory farming systems are not propped up whatsoever with any kind of taxpayers money and um, we need to make sure that the low impact sustainable systems are better supported and we're talking a lot about mu- public money being used to pay for so- so-called public goods like protecting the environment boosting wildlife pollinators protecting water supplies and so on. So the farmers are doing the right thing. We need to support those better. Um, but also there's a huge amount we could do in procurement. So all the schools, hospitals, care homes, you know, why don't we have really great standards to ensure that they get all their food from great you know, British producers producing sustainably um, that really are and, and, and giving, really giving us sustainable diets with less and better meat and dairy? It's one of the things that we're actually um, working on at the moment is encouraging public sector catering using British pulses. Um, and that's one of the areas where you can, if, if that something was on the menu every day in, in schools, hospitals, prisons, for example, um, so that we can make sure that people have got a choice um, and that they can make a, they can make a healthy um, choice that's good for the environment. Sam, I want to ask you a question. I don't really want to hear the answer, but I've been vegetarian for 18 years, I think, and I still do have a bit of butter and cheese and milk. And in my mind, you know, there's there's a milking stool involved. It's all very pastoral and rustic. That's not the reality of things, is it? No, and in fact, we, we can talk about zero grazed um, cattle as well. So there are cattle that will never see the outdoors in their whole life. It's not it's not how it's planned for them. So um, f- as far from that pastoral view as you can possibly imagine. Um, and I think part of the problem is that the advertising industry is very quite clever with TV adverts that show cattle literally dancing, cartoon animals dancing around, um, saying how delighted they are to be produced butter or milk for us nothing could be further from the truth and the dairy I think many vegans feel strongly that dairy cattle actually have a worse life than, than other animals they're not just being uh, they're not just being ultimately produced for slaughter but in the meantime they're they're they're, they're being um they're having to produce calves, um, you know, regularly. Their calf is taken away usually within 12, 24 hours. Um, the calf, if it's female, will go back into the dairy herd and be used in the same way, producing calves in order to produce milk. And I have to say, I'm really shocked. I quite often meet people, grown-ups, who genuinely don't realise that cows produce milk only because they have calves and then the calf's taken away and we drink the milk. It's quite shocking how many people, um, journalists included, have asked me a question where I clearly can see that what they don't understand that connection. And it's just like people, they only produce milk to feed their calves. It's a very healthy food for calves, of course, not so much for humans. Um, And um, that they have a thoroughly miserable life. And at the end of that, obviously, if, if it's a male calf, then there's no use for it at all. The option would either be veal crates um, or in the UK, it might be sort of um, the sort of rosé beef, which would be a slightly better standard of welfare, but really not something you'd, you know, you'd want your offspring to be going into. It's, it's, if we compare it to humans, if you thought that your child was going to have that sort of life, you would rather it wasn't born because it is a life of unremitting misery and early death. And is that true with like male male chicks as well? Exactly the same issue, really. If you're a female chick, you can go back into the laying industry. If you're a male chick, your meat won't be suitable really to be to be broiler. So you'll probably get crushed or gassed at a day old. Um, that's not much use for the males in the in the food industry. I th- yeah, I think I think um, you know it is a pretty horrific picture in the intensive sector. Um, that is improved in some areas. You know, there are more sustainable systems. I mean, organic systems do have higher welfare standards, much higher welfare standards. Um, and in fact, there's this wonderful dairy, and obviously this is not something that's been replicated on a mass scale, but if only it could be. It's called a Himza milk. I don't know if you've come across it. But they basically, they're a non-cull um, dairy, and they keep the calves with their mothers, and they manage to produce milk out of that. Um, and they have this, you know, wonderful Twitter feed. And, you know, it's, it is it is brilliant. It is obviously a tiny, um, small-scale example. But I think it does show that you can do things more sustainably and less cruelly, but it all comes down to the volumes produced and and the methods that, that are behind that. But also we've, you know, for human health, the government brought out some, some new um, standards. The Eat Well Guide um, was updated last year, I think. Um, and that's, you know, clearly says we're, we're 
we're eating too much dairy, eating, drinking too much milk, eating too much cheese um, for our health um, as well as the environment and, and welfare. So I think what's interesting is that the, the kind of less and better approach to meat and dairy really ticks so many boxes. You know, it's, it is better for our health. It's better for welfare. It's better for the environment. Um, and it's something that everybody can get on board with without having to go down the route of lab, lab meat and all the rest of it. And it's working really well, I think, with milk because there's now, uh, everyone's been aware of soya milk perhaps for a long time, but every, I think people are more aware in supermarkets now you can get almond milk hazelnut milk hemp milk Mm -hmm. oat milk coconut milk i've probably missed a few out but there's such choice actually and the chances are if you try a number of brands and a number of different types of plant milks you will find one that you find palatable on cereal and one that you find palatable in coffee and um you're good to go and they're, they're healthy alternatives and i think that's kind of the upside you can make a positive choice or you can choose I will drink plant milks at home and not the rest. You know, people can make a choice to at least cut down if they can't do anything else. But it's quite easy to find a plant milk that you would probably like that's better better for cattle, better for the environment, better for you. So tell us at the end, what's your favourite vegetarian food, you know, or vegan food, you know, so that our listeners can really sort of try it out for themselves? Yeah, so I've got a really easy one because I have two young kids and I don't have a lot of time to cook, but I do like to cook from scratch. So um, it's a veggie, actually it's a vegan, if you don't put the cheese on, um, bolognese. And instead of the meat, you use puy lentils and you can get those tinned or or dried. Um, And those are actually quite meaty in texture. You can chop up some mushrooms to go in there as well, which gives it a bit more of a meaty texture if you're after that. Bit of balsamic vinegar is the key ingredient, bit of sugar. Yeah, it's delicious. And obviously the tomatoes, yeah. Um, I'd probably go with um, lasagna is one of the things I always um, always enjoyed and the vegan versions can work really well so say a roasted vegetable lasagna um, so roasted vegetables and um, vegan pesto um, then layers of, of um, lasagna sheets um, and you can make a wonderful um, vegan sauce using things like um, soya milk um, vegan cheese um, uh, something called nutri- nutritional yeast um, flakes which will give you various vitamins and also a kind of nice nutty flavour can be added into that sauce that could be really cool Fantastic Sam and Claire, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We're joined on the line now by Icta Dunsford, who is an award-winning farmer and biotech startup founder uh, leading on the project to develop the first cultured meat in the UK. Hello, Icta. Hello there. So can you explain to us what, what is cultured meat? How does that differ from other meat substitutes? So, so chemically, it is meat. Uh, it's just that it, it's derived from an animal by, by taking a cell... Uh, from from a, a live animal, or or, 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 when it's, or from from a piece of meat or some blood, and then growing it at the moment in a in a lab sort of uh, environment rather than an industrial scale, uh, and using nutrients very very similar to the way that a normal body would 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 grow, uh, and the the resulting uh, product is chemically meat. Can you describe to us where it, what what does that look like? Is it a, a test tube? Is it some kind of incubator? What what are we visualising when we think of that? So, in a, on a small scale, it's it's all very kind of uh, uh, Frankenstein-esque if we think of it in that that sense. But if we think of it in an industrial scale, it's very very similar to uh, looking at the brewing industry. So, the, the the main machine that's used is called a bioreactor, and really, it's just a large stainless steel vessel um, that, that 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 grows this uh, this tissue. So, in in so in real terms, in food terms. You know, it's very, very similar to, to the food products that we already have in terms of its process. What's the aim about what you want coming out at the other end, so to speak? Well, it's, I mean, for, for me personally, I mean, lots of people have got different reasons for um, looking at the field of cultured meat. For me personally, it's it's understanding how we can actually produce enough food and enough protein for the growing world population by 2050. And as a farmer and as a, as a meat producer, um, I've always strived to produce sustainable um, forms of, of meat production, but the reality is that lots of people aren't producing in that way. And for us to, to be able to produce enough, we, we have to look at other methods to produce proteins, and whether that's plant-based or, or, or cultured meat, you know, it's, it's, there's, not, there's not one specific way that we'll tackle this problem. We really need a toolbox to, to combat this problem. And is it scalable when you look, about, look at what you're doing? Is that something you, you could Im- imagine being done on a large scale? Well, that's, that's what we're doing really uh, specifically, is looking at the scalability. Uh, we're looking less at actually uh, producing products, so things that consumers would be familiar with, like burgers and sausages or meatballs. What we're really concerned with at the moment is upscaling that technology and, and, and having that bioprocess that, that's scalable and affordable, really, um, and comparable in its price to traditional meat. 
And do you think it is possible to to do that? What from your from your work you've been doing so far? Do you think this is a? I know it's not the whole solution, but do you think this might be part of the solution? Definitely, it's it's part of the solution. It's not the solution. And and the work. I mean, the, the, my my traditional meat business has been working with um, Marianne Ellis, Dr. Marianne Ellis at the University of Bath over the last three years, uh, and looking at the scalability, looking at the design projects with her students. On, on how we can actually put together a much bigger factory than what we have, a much bigger scale than what we have. And really, that's the key to cracking this as a technology, uh, because we use considerably less of land use, uh, less, less energy. You know, the, it's, it's a, a much more sustainable way of creating protein. And how has the meat industry reacted to this? Obviously, you're an award-winning uh, farmer, um, as well as doing this uh, business. What, what's been the general reaction uh, very mixed, to be honest. Uh, I think a lot... I mean, like like most people, um, when faced with something that's new, something that's rather alien, uh, the initial reaction is... Well, I guess people can be rather scared. Um, I, I was formerly a part of the uh, the Red Meat Levy Board for Wales, but I'm no longer because they just felt that, that it didn't really sit comfortably with them as a board in terms of how we should be pursuing... Um, meat uh, as as a product. Um, obviously, for, for me personally, this is less about the meat industry. This is more about food security and, and, and feeding everyone, really. And what happens to the farmers, Ictad, if if this really takes off? I mean, presumably, that you've got we've got to work on finding alternatives for them. Definitely, and and that's really what what interests me is is under, understanding the opportunity and understanding the value within this new field. Um, but but also for us to understand that if 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 cultured meat um, replaces sort of large commodity farming, uh, I still think that there's room then for sort of more sustainable agriculture. And if we look at the the industry here in the UK, we're we're largely much more sustainable if if we rear sort of um, native breeds of animals in low impact systems without huge huge amounts of of input feeds. So we're, we're, you know, there's only so much we can do with some of our land here in Wales, in in our uplands. You know, sheep grazing is one of the few things you can actually do with that land. So, it's about being clever in what we can do. But also in terms of supplying cells for for cultured meat, you still need that animal, and and so you have to recognise there's a value to the cell, and it could possibly mean keeping fewer animals but having a much greater value per animal because of the number of cells that you can derive from them. OK, Ictor Dunsford, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Are you ready to go vegan then? I'd, I'd say I'm at least 40% vegan. So, <laughs> you know, Can you be 40% or, vegan? So, you either are or you are Well, no, what I mean is almost half the time I'm oh, eating veggie food without any dairy. Well, look, you're miles, miles ahead of me on the old sort of uh, moral plane on this one. When you ask them for their favourite foods, I thought um, a good answer would be to, next time you go for an Indian, order veggie, because I eat loads of Indian food and um, so much of India is vegetarian. That's true. Anyway, culturally and religiously, uh, you you won't notice the difference. You know, the really interesting thing about this is I think that whoever said in the discussion that this was much more controversial five or ten years ago, I think might be right. Because, you know, just listening to the discussion, I mean, it is a bit of a no-brainer. Not that everybody goes vegan, but that we eat less meat. And we, if, we, if we're going to do something about climate change, if we're going to tackle animal cruelty, we kind of have to go down this road at least some some of the way, don't we? Mm. And I, what, what do you think about these other alternatives? Well, as I said... Are you said, ready for the Jeff Burger? I, I am ready to don't... If I was the, the godfather of all cultured meat, if that was my legacy, that I donated a few cells that then they grew artificial meat from, I, I'm, I'd be happy to make that sacrifice. Do you think it should be called the Jeff Burger? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the condition on which I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Jeff Burgers for all. Yeah. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've got thoughts about what you've heard on this week's episode in terms of food or any other issue that you'd like us to discuss, please email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at, at cheerfulpodcast and also on Instagram. You can also find us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash reasons to be cheerful podcast. Thanks so much to Lee Epstein. He emailed us saying, could we discuss the issue of food? Uh, including some of the issues we raised. Lee, thanks so much. And and we have. uh, And do let us know what you thought. Uh, Also, we've had lots of good emails on the issue of how to be pirate following our special bonus episode with Sam Conniff Allende. We'll be coming back to those in future weeks. And also keep them coming in on your votes. People have been voting for us, Jeff, uh, in the British Podcast Awards and then sending in the proof for our prize draw. So keep doing uh, that too. This comes from Juliet Bear, who says, I've just finished listening to this week's episode and it really resonated with me. I graduated from Edinburgh University five years ago. Side note, not, I was only able to go because I'm Scottish. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to afford it, for which I'm incredibly grateful. But clearly, the system needs to change. She says, in no way do I regret the time I spent at university. But I was struck by the discussion about balance between teaching and research. Edinburgh is well known as a research university, and we were often made to feel as a undergraduates that the teaching hours our professors dedicated to us was time wasted where they could have been furthering their own research, whereas less elite universities usually don't have this pressure or reputation and so the teaching is often better. Again, this is clearly something that needs to change. Uh, She also adds, P.S. When are you coming to Edinburgh? We will be there the first weekend of the Fringe Festival. This comes from Kenneth on the subject of divorce, who says, Hi, Ed and Jeff, your most recent episode really struck something with me in the fact that last year, my wife and I split up after she discovered I'd been having an affair. We've been together for over 20 years and married for almost half that time. We also have two daughters under the age of five. We don't have any immediate intention to get back together, but both realise that it'll be healthier for the girls if we can get along and be friends. So we're trying to repair things between us to the extent that we can have a good relationship for their sakes. I don't begin the divorce proceedings because I would rather the two years pass so we don't have to force the acrimonious process um, when... All it will do is make things more difficult for everyone. Neither of us want the lawyers or courts to destroy any chance of sustaining a healthy parenting relationship going forward. So to this end, we're prepared to wait. I found your guests very helpful and it made me feel positive that there's a chance to conclude our marriage while still being able to put our children first. And also this comes from Simon Dallow. Hi, Jeff and Ed. Despite subscribing to over 30 podcasts, yours is the first I felt inspired to write into. After listening to your recent episode regarding the current issues surrounding divorce, I thought you might want to hear the peculiar challenge I was faced with. In 2013, my wife left me because she had started a relationship with somebody else. and Understandably, both my wife and I were very keen to end things quickly and amicably for the sake of my daughter. However, there was a problem. You see, as my wife had left me for another woman, it did not technically count as adultery. Adultery would mean that she had been having relations with another man. So we were forced to file under the unreasonable behaviour heading instead. Unfortunately, despite the clear and uncontested relationship my wife was having with another person, the judge deemed multiple times that we did not have sufficient grounds for divorce. 
After many failed revisions, two years had passed, so he ultimately resorted to ending things due to the two-year separation. This meant that what could have been a simple and mutually agreed process ended up being a two-year freeze on either of us getting the legal and emotional closure we needed. He also goes on to say, on the plus side, I'm a much happier man with a different partner now, so perhaps the whole thing could be chalked up as a reason to be cheerful after all. When can we start some real work on creating the Jeffocracy? I mean, it, it does show, you know, obviously our divorce laws are just sort of Byzantine, aren't they? It was weird. That episode, I wasn't sure about doing it. It felt like a very specific thing. But the more we talked about it and then afterwards, the response we've had just made me think that's got to change. It's nuts. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. So here to bring us some ideas which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. We're joined by comedian Steve Bougea. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Hello. I'm, I'm doing all Hello. right. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming. And we were just talking before we switched the microphones on, and that is a, a Maltese. Yes, Bougea. It's very common in Malta. It's like Jones over there. It's very right. common, yeah. And you've, you've not really spent any time over there apart from you. I know small. nothing about it. I wonder what the comedy scene is like in Malta. I think it's limited. But I could just monopolise it. Yeah, you could, I could take be it the by only storm. Maltese comedian. Mm. Yeah, that'd be my niche. Uh, so, Steve, you brought some ideas which could be potential reasons for cheerful. What's, what's yeah, the first one that you these have? These are pretty, yeah, world-changing ideas. <laughs> um, the first idea I have, I've, I've actually I feel quite strong about this. I feel bad for politicians. Um, oh, that's nice, Ed. Isn't it? You don't get much of that. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, no, ac- across the spectrum, though, I feel, I feel sorry okay. for you guys because you just don't. It's difficult for you to come across as nice people on yeah. the political TV shows that you get put on. And then what always happens is we get to know you afterwards. When not always, but the, you know when someone retires or is out of the top limelight. Are you talking about anyone? Is there, is there anyone in specific? Anyone in particular? No, he's, talking, he's talking about you, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No one specific. I just mean you know when they're on their you know maybe they're the leader yeah. of height. No, yeah. I just and mean, then they retire when they're old. Yeah, yeah. when yeah. they're really old. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, I just mean when you get to actually when someone gets a chance to just be themselves yeah. and you and you go oh they're really nice. Yeah, and it's the same with. I once saw David Cameron on a train platform with his children when he was prime minister. And I'm not a massive fan of David Cameron, yeah. but I saw him being like a normal dad yeah. and like pressing the train button. And I thought, oh, you're just a normal guy, aren't you? You seem quite nice. Did he leave any of his children behind on the platform? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He left like three behind. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I gave him more slack from then on because I thought, well, actually, and I think we just need to see our politicians being more real. So the idea is instead of question time or daily politics, we should just see our politicians doing day-to-day things. So, you know, we saw Theresa May eating pizza. I'm not going to do the eating thing. No, <laughs> not eating. No, yeah, uh, not eating. I think I'll keep the, you know, I'll do something else. Yeah. Gardening or something. Don't you think it's a weird thing that politicians are, expe- are expected to see that side of their life? I remember sort of seeing you do Labour Party conference one year and then, like, Justine, your wife, had to come on and wave to everybody. Else. But that You're is nice, though. But when you see someone's on. partner, I think it humanises them immediately. Like when I saw Gordon Brown with his children for the first time, I was like, oh, Lots you... of people said that after he resigned. Because he, he was came resigned. out with his kids, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it makes... But also, if you just see them doing day-to-day... Like if I saw Theresa May trying to remember a Netflix password. <laughs> you know, just like little things. Or like Jeremy Corbyn trying to clear the apps on his phone because he's run out of memory. Like little... Because you go, well, actually, you're just yeah. a normal person, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You give them a bit more leeway when yeah. they when they make decisions, I think. Exactly. I like it. Are you, are I like you into it. That? I like it, but not the eating pizza or anything else. <laughs> maybe pizza was. Maybe pizza would have been all right though. Yeah, maybe it would have yeah. been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Steve. What do you have next? Um, next, I've got. A few, I listened to your prison uh, podcast mm-hmm. recently, so I had loads of fresh ones in my in my head. I thought because the thing, was, obviously, we just need to put more money into prison. That's the fundamental problem. Uh, and fewer people. In, and fewer and people. Fewer people in the prison. Yeah. Uh, so, but no one seems to have any money. So I thought of some solutions to the money situation. So we always say that uh, we always read that the prison is like a university of crime, and it just breeds more criminals. I thought, well, if, if it's a university of crime, we should just treat them like students, um, and prisoners should have to pay to go to prison to get that <laughs> to get that university education and you know they're come mi- out with a BA in crime they're coming out they're mixing with some of the best criminals in the world they should go in they get a high class education they come out and then when they're making real money off crime off the back of that education they can pay they can be like a, a prisoner loan system and so it's like student loans when you start uh, when you start when you start earning enough money from from your crime yeah exactly you can pay us back and and, I only know, got where I am today with my <laughs> masters in crime. There could be grants for really uh, gifted and talented uh, criminals. You know, yeah. I just think that we we got to work work out ways to pay for it, haven't we? Yeah, okay. that's, a, that's a nice yep. idea. prison reform. All yep. right, what else? I thought this ages ago, actually, 
And I don't know what the reason is, the economic reason why this can't work. There probably is one. But you know when we did quantitative easing in 2009, whenever it was, 2013? Printing um, money, in other words. Printing money, yeah, basically. Yeah. But we gave it all to bonds, didn't we, and, yeah. and financial institutions. I, I never quite understood why we couldn't just give that directly to people to spend, to stimulate the economy, rather than giving it to the banks to spend the money. So why couldn't we just put £100,000 in everyone's bank account as a little print money present yeah. And people could just spend it. Let's ask the old Mr. Economy oh, over here. Shit, I thought you might ask me that. <laughs> I did economics at uni. I don't know why. If you're going to print it, you're going to print it, aren't you? It doesn't matter who spends it. Why is there a d- distinction drawn between buying bonds and... Because other people have said it should be used for infrastructure projects, for example, directly into infrastructure. Yeah. Why is there a distinction? There's something called helicopter money, an idea called helicopter money, which I think is more like what you're proposing, which is a sort of step beyond quantitative easing. Right. So in response to financial crisis, and even recently, people like Adair Turner, Lord Turner, have been proposing a sort of more like helicopter money. Um, So they give us each money to buy a helicopter? Correct. Right. Exactly. That's the general. Would a hundred thousand do a that? Part of a helicopter. Yeah. It's more like it's they coming. They fly over us and hand out cash. Yeah, they're handing out the cash. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, we need uh, the yeah. My even though I did a master's in economics, so maybe people would just of, so maybe people would just sit on it and squirrel it away in a bank. Maybe that's the people, danger. Maybe people would hide it offshore. But our propensity to save is very low in this country. I think most people. Would spend I think. It and... I think. What, I think that there's a distinction between money that government is sort of spending directly, which more like a tax cut is, or giving people money. And the buying of bonds, which I suppose the argument is, that's a slightly different Boring. sort of enterprise. I think that yeah. that's the technical. Anyway, but don't ruin the idea with facts. I'm not ruining it. I'm not ruining it. I was actually trying to sort of test my economics knowledge. But anyway, we should get people to respond on that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there probably would be rampant inflation. That's the only, yeah. with that kind of level of uh, free money for everyone. But if it's the same amount of money going into the economy anyway. Well, you'd think it would be fine. And also, you wouldn't just, it'd be rich and poor would get the same amount of money. So, yeah. you know, there wouldn't be any. I mean, that is part of the problem of quantitative easing is that it's helped the stock market. It's gone to people right at the yeah. top in general yeah. rather than being fairly distributed. Okay. Okay, well, I think we should. Uh, serious. That's question. a serious idea. That serious economic question. That is my favourite idea I've heard so far. Just give yeah. people yeah. money. Just being given £100,000 okay. for nothing. To yeah, buy a helicopter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Steve, what are you up to at the moment? Can people come see you? Yeah, please do. I'll be at the Edinburgh French with a new show, Great. Uh, which is not written yet. So come to that. So will we. That's true, actually. Are you doing the podcast up there? We we're, are. We're doing a, right at the beginning, the first weekend of the Fringe, we're doing a couple of shows. So we are. Yeah, details TBA. Yeah. And C. No, I think they're C. They just need A. <laughs> You've been before? Uh, I have been before, but I have not performed before. We'll take you to the performance bars. You can, Excellent. You can... <laughs> <laughs> it, it reads like a four-star review. I mean, we'll be saying all those yeah, things. Yeah, it's just people going like, oh, God, the reviews are in. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're in the outro. We are. Oh, I know what I've got to uh, say. I've got to thank you. Ed gave a TV recommendation the other week. I hope you took him up on it too. But I watched the first episode last night of Call My Agent. Oh, and, Magnifique, absolutely, really good. I think I'm hooked on it already. Definitely, and it's really exciting because the bridge is back. Uh, We're recording this on the Thursday um, tomorrow night, Friday night. The bridge four returns. Saganoran. Do you think we'll see? uh, Because her her partner from the first three, uh, two series, Martin. We didn't see him at all in the last one. He's in jail. Do you think he'll make a cameo? Is that right? Martin Rudd. You yeah. think he's going to be back? I don't know. It'd be nice to see him because it's the final series, isn't it? They're going to tie yeah, it all up no. and it would be nice to see him again. It's quite a thing. Yeah. Anyway, I was thinking maybe we could watch it together. <laughs> I'm, I'm there, yeah. I'll be round in my pyjamas. We need to, we need to talk, tell our spouses about that. But uh... <laughs> uh, Shall we do our thank yous? Let's do our thank yous. Thank you to Samantha Calvert, Head of Communications at the Vegan Society, Claire Oxborough uh, from Friends of the Earth, and also... Ictad Dunsford, award-winning farmer. And thanks to Steve Bajaya for joining us. You can see him at the Edinburgh Festival. He's going to be on every day at half past three and his show is called Steve Bajaya, almost. Well, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, we should uh, thank Alex Weiss-Brice and Lindsay Todd for the backup uh, and policy research. Emma Corsham produced our podcast. Gail Lofthouse was our announcer. James Deacon made the idents. Ed Seed composed the music. And Emily, Emily Power, Power. Uh, designed our artwork. So you're going to do it then? Are you going to try veganism for a week? You're going to go home and have a family conference about it? I'm going to go and consult the authorities, definitely. What do you think the boys will say? Um, possibly. They might, once I explain the 
that they they were telling me about all of the a huge amount of water use that goes into a kilogram of beef and all of that stuff so they're pretty aware okay i'll report back you do that yeah meanwhile he's been the jeff burger he's been the ed and bacon sandwich these have been reasons to be, to be vegan, vegan. <laughs> 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.